Welcome back to another episode of Lost in the Catacombs. I am your gracious host, Josh, back with you again for episode number 24 of your favorite extreme music podcast. As always, thanks so much for yet again choosing to listen to this podcast. That means the world to me. We do have a great episode for you all today. Later on, we will be joined by The Lion's Daughter and Eve for a spectacular batch of interviews. But as always, there are a few things we need to get out of the way first. I do want to get some housekeeping done and remind everyone to follow me on the socials on Twitter at Catacombs Media, on Instagram at Lost Catacombs Media. Do a simple search on Facebook for Lost in the Catacombs and give us a like there. And if you have any questions, shoot us an email at lostinthecatacombspodcast at gmail.com. Also, feel free to check out the Substack featuring various interviews and reviews of new albums. You can find that at lostinthecatacombs.substack.com. Totally free. Just sign up with your email and those will be delivered to your inbox again free of charge. We are also supported by Gurgling Gore, the distro slash label. Head over to gurglinggore.com and use the code word LOST at checkout for 15% off your order. Pick you up some gore grind, death metal, grindcore, a lot of great bands over there, so check them out. Also, we are supported by Blast Beats Vinyl. Head over there to blastbeatsvinyl.com. Use the code word LOST at checkout if you are a first-time buyer over there, and that will get you 10% off your first order. 
Everything can be found in the description of this episode, so head down there for more information. But now, let's dive into our weekly news segment. First up, according to MetalInjection.net, Dimeborgir has been added as a headliner for the 2024 edition of the Inferno Metal Festival. The festival is taking place between March 28th and the 31st across several venues in Oslo, Norway, and currently features the following lineup that includes At the Gates, Candlemass, Fintroll, Me and That Man, Carpathian Forest, Cattle Decapitation, Amongst so many more, you can find that full list in the story at metalinjection.net. So cool to see such a legendary act headlining this festival. So check that out if you are in that neck of the woods. Also, according to lambgoat.com, Wayfair has released a new single along with a music video for their song A High Plains Eulogy off their upcoming record, American Gothic due out October 27th on Profound Lore Records. So to check out that music video, head on over to Wayfarer's YouTube page and give it a listen. And again, the first two singles off this record were absolutely phenomenal and I cannot wait to hear the record in full. Again, that is out October 27th and to pre-order American Gothic, head on over to Wayfarer's Bandcamp, Spotify, wherever you get your music. Also, for more physical copies, head on over to Profound Lore's website and pick that up there if you live in the U.S., if you live in the European Union or the EU, head over to Century Media Records website and purchase the record. Alright, now that we have that out of the way, let's go ahead and introduce our first guest of the day. First up, we will be joined by Rick from the St. Louis, Missouri-based extreme metal band The Lion's Daughter. Their new album, Bathhouse, is due out October 13th, and that is a self-released record. So let's go ahead and jump into our first interview of the day with Rick. But first, let's listen to a clip from the album. This song is called End Credits.
I still get excited. I mean, if, if we ever hit a point where I'm not excited about it, I just won't do it anymore. Um, cause it's not like we're, you know, a band where it's like a career or we have some obligation or something, you know, I, I do this because I want to do it. Um, and that's one thing that's kind of stayed consistent from that first full length, you know, up until the current one is just kind of, um, it sounds chaotic. I've got a three month old, um, Rottweiler and and a 13 year old, uh, shepherd mix, uh, going crazy. Oh, no worries. Entertained. My dog might make an appearance as well. So just be warned. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, um, the band maybe sounds quite a bit different than it, you know, did on that first record, but really like the, you know, the, the, the process and the, uh, the, the intention is kind of the same, which is just, you know, to do, um, what excites us and kind of, uh, ex- explore kind of, you know, whatever we're into at, at the time. What excited you? during that first record and more than a decade ago, what was exciting you about music and what excites you today? Man, I know with that early stuff, it was just, it was driven by just pure fucking hate and anger. Um, it was, uh, it was kind of weird. It was like almost like we were motivated by bands that we didn't like more than we were motivated by bands that we did like, like we were still, we were still kind of coming out of that, metalcore era i was gonna I ask is, that <laughs> yeah i mean that it's peak. that shit is that shit's back and i don't think it's ever gonna fucking go anywhere but um you know it was just after a decade of all these fucking moron metalcore bands um which i, I know people like that shit i don't i never have um i don't you know i don't really like my bands to be too cute um but uh you know that said, like Eric and I were in one of those fucking bands for a while. Um, and we both just kind of took that as a, uh, you know, as a, as a, a gig, like we joined a band that was already like touring and shit. Um, and it wasn't, you know, wasn't as cringy as a lot of that shit was, but it still lived in that world where, you know, while I'm listening to like King Diamond and Cannibal Corpse and shit every day. And, you know, basically just write writing, you know, metal riff for this band um and we're just constantly surrounded by like the swoopy bang lip ring fucking white belt just bullshit um that was inescapable i mean it's like all there fucking was for you know like a whole decade um so when he and i both quit that dumb fucking band um and got away from the other people that were in it um we just said okay let's do the antithesis to to all of this shit let's make a band that's just just heavier and more hateful and more just dark and disgusting than you know anything uh we've ever done before and basically just kind of approach it you know we approached live shows like it was a fucking fist fight like we just kind of went up ready to just fucking just kill and you know kind of went up with just like this you know, we're not throwing shit on each other or anything, but just this G.G. Allen kind of men- mentality of just like, all right, the audience is the fucking enemy. Nobody's going to like this. This is just for us, you know? And then the weird thing that happened was like people liked it. <laughs> like people, people, I think, just saw that it was uh, that it was genuine. You know, it wasn't a bunch of posturing and like, how are we guys doing tonight? All right. Make sure to check out the merch stand. Fuck, this one goes out to my sweetheart. Just what it was. None of that shit. It was just 
fuck you we're just vomiting just fucking hatred all over the stage um and even like the recording process was super primitive uh, in the same way where we didn't want things to be clean and perfect and we, we wanted to just just be you know gnarly and kind of an all-out attack it's a very um, Sex Pistols approach, right? Where you wanted to be the antithesis of everything else that was going on, which, you know, you hear Johnny Rotten say all the time that they were just fed up with that, you know, British music scene and the rock and roll. And then like, so, or they thought that rock and roll had become like too saturated. So they became what they thought was the antithesis of rock and roll. Yeah, like, which is, which is ironic since they were ultimately a fucking boy band. Like the <laughs> Sex Pistols were, were put together by a guy who owned a store who wanted to sell clothing, you know? So even that was horseshit. So, I mean, I get, you know, we're all, we're, we're all uh, a bit hypocritical at times. Cause again, as much as I say, like I fucking hated all that metal core shit and still do, um, you know, two of us were in one of those fucking bands, you know, and played the game. <laughs> why, so, why do you think that, I guess metalcore it's still a little bit popular today, but kind of winding down, I guess it, it was just like, the thing about metalcore is that it just got way too, I don't know, easy. It got way too, commercial and like as you said it just kind of got way too just like oversaturated but why do you it think it was so cutter. popular yeah like every riffs, you, breakdowns you had to do yeah you had to do the exact same thing that was the fucking thing about that band i was in is when i joined it it was a little weirder it sounded more like like early poison the well or something and then through fucking touring we're like shit man we want to eat you know nobody's buying our shit nobody cares oh if we play this dumb fucking breakdown then everybody does their karate moves and buys a t-shirt afterwards. And then maybe we can fucking go to Arby's tomorrow, you know? Uh, but every band did the exact same fucking thing. And if you like strayed from it too much, then you were weird and you were just wasting your time. Yeah. It's a, uh, I've noticed at least, you know, that whole death core metal core era is kind of winding down. And like, I've talked with a few death metal bands and, um, you know, bands like that. And, you know, that whole primitive era of extreme music is kind of coming back and, and, and in some ways more bigger than it's ever been. Right. Yeah. It's just, it's weird, man. Like, I, I mean, I'm pretty out of touch with a, with a lot of things, but, um, it just, it, where I live in St. Louis, man, it's just, it's like, you know, some, a really fucking cool band could play at a venue and 20 people will show up. But then the next night they have emo night where a DJ comes and plays fucking under oath and all this horse shit and it sells out. Um, or, you know, there could be like, man, we have like a handful of really fucking good bands here. Um, but story of the year still sells out every time they fucking play. They're still like, around. Oh yeah. Yeah. And nothing, dude, nothing against those guys. Like, I, I know a couple of those guys. And they're fucking cool dudes. Good on them and their success. I don't fucking get it. That music is about the most embarrassing thing I've ever fucking heard. But people in this town, man, still eat it up. So, I don't know. It's still it's still a thing. And I think, you know, partially kind of bring to bring this to, to today, I think I'm still, in a way, like, motivated and driven by that shit to, to write music that's just the kind of just just has has some like genuine fucking soul to it it isn't like a just this plastic uh commercialized product to sell to fucking morons yeah obviously i think you guys put out that uh that covers record with you know the judas priest turbo or is it called the mm -hmm. turbo covers 
And obviously people can, covers, yeah. people can pick up on some of your influences on that one with, you know, obviously Judas Priest, you had a Gigi Allen cover on there. Oh, yeah. um, so rewinding back a little bit for you, obviously you said that, you know, you, you kind of hate that whole metalcore genre. You were jamming, you know, King Diamond, Merciful Fate, those kind of bands. Mm. Looking back, where do you think or what band in particular do you think kind of pushed you in the direction to explore this more extreme, more um, like more, I guess, in the side of music that has more substance, so to speak? And I guess that's a little bit subjective. But who do you mm -hmm. think kind of pushed you in that direction? Yeah, I think really the, the big eye opener was Neurosis. Like that was that was the first time where I was like, oh, music can be this whole other thing um it could it could be almost this this uh you know this almost spiritual thing that's kind of hard to put into words and um this feeling and this atmosphere that you can just sink into and shit i saw neurosis open for guar in like 1995 or 96 i was like i was like a, i was probably like 14 or 15 years old and uh i didn't get it you know i'm wait, i'm waiting to see the big rubber dicks and blood spraying everywhere and you know um and I'm like, what the fuck is, is this? And I, and I kind of hated it, but for some reason I just, I couldn't stop thinking about it. It's like something resonated with me of like, like, I want to, I want to know what, what th there's something deeper here. I can sense it. And I like, I want to learn what the fuck this is. So I went out and bought, uh, through silver and blood phenomenal. Record. And yeah, man, just like hypnotic almost. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Just like, I didn't know. I just didn't know music could do that. I didn't know that it could just pummel you and just rip your fucking soul apart uh the way that you know that that record does and just the 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 respect that you could see that that band had for like their own art um it was just i don't know it was it was different and it, it just made me think differently about music you know like um before that faith no more was like a big one or just like fuck you can you can just combine anything like you can bring any influences or genres or styles or whatever you can bring it together and make whatever the fuck you want like there's no limits to music um so i would say like both of those bands combined are probably like a big you know uh, shaped kind of my musical language and personality for anybody that's listened to a lion's daughter record or i guess even bathhouse in particular the new single of the album of the same name coming out later this year we we hear a lot of those like horror influences as well like the buildup of tension and then knowing when to let things breathe throughout the song to build that tension. How big of an influence did the horror side of things have on you? Or was that something just that just kind of came organically over time? Or was that something you always wanted to incorporate into your music? Yeah, that's something to me. Um, metal and horror have always just kind of been different sides of the same coin. Like, uh, you know, being a, uh, when I was a kid and, um, you know, seeing, um, a, a, a poster of Freddy Krueger and then seeing like a Grim Reaper album cover had the same effect on me. Just like, Oh, what the fuck is this thing? And like, there's something, something kind of intriguing, mysterious, kind of frightening and forbidden um, about it. Also really like horror and metal were just kind of one and the same. Um, and I, you know, I never really paid attention to the music in horror movies. Um, which is kind of a 
it's kind of a good thing in a way, you know, like, uh, um, you know, like John Carpenter's the thing, like if you're not paying any attention to the score, the score actually has like a much more profound effect on you. Um, but, um, you know, as, as I got older listening to, uh, you know, and actually started to like appreciate that stuff and listen to just isolated film scores and stuff like that, just realized, uh, how much, well, you know, like you're saying, like you could, you could build tension and there's, there's a lot of drama in there. There's intentionally a lot of drama in there and, and, um, you know, and horrifying sounding things. Um, so to me, it, it, again, it's the, it's the same as, as metal pretty much, you know, it's like the two things I think really easily and seamlessly blend together. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And it's funny because like, yeah, I guess fans of metal and fans of horror often intersect and often, I guess, intertwine. So, and I'm always someone that loves to look for that cinematic approach in music and no one does it better in my opinion than those involved in like extreme metal or, you know, extreme music. But I guess like today, are you still taking a lot of inspiration from outside influences or are you kind of just doing your own thing? I mean, I'm sure subconsciously I am. Um, I just weirdly, I don't know. I like, it's a risk of sounding pretentious. I just don't think about it anymore. Like, I kind of go into music with, at least for this last record, like for sure, um, which I know, you know, people have just really heard one song so far, but uh, I went into it really with like zero intention at all. I didn't, I didn't think I want to make something like this, or um, I should have a song that's uh, this style or feels this way or whatever. I just kind of turned that side of my brain off um, and let, my subconscious kind of take over and uh even and even with like the lyrics i did the same thing i didn't think about what's the song about i just let the words come um so you know those those influences of mine were definitely huge you know i, th I feel like it was um pretty much if you could take my entire record collection and throw it into a computer and spit out a single record that would kind of be what this record is because it's everything it's bits and pieces of everything that I've ever liked, but without forcing anything in there or really thinking about it too much or intending for it to come out any certain way. But yeah, I mean, there's no denying like, um, yeah, I think somebody, I read a YouTube comment on the, on bathhouse that said, um, this sounds like a, like a modern motorhead. And I would never, ever, ever think of, that song sounding like motorhead. But then when I paid attention, I'm like, well, we got the fucking double bass going. We've got that kind of high energy thing. You know what? That vocal pattern and vocal melody in the verse, I could hear that maybe being a little bit of a limmy thing and like, okay, so yeah. So there is a little motorhead in there, but the keyboard melodies over the top, I think is a little faith no more. And I think then there's, there's, you know, some kind of stabbing keys that kind of sound more like some horror movie soundtrack stuff. So I think, you know, and that's just, a few parts of one song. Um, so I think, you know, yeah, just all of this shit that's just in my subconscious and, 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 you know, in my record collection and in my movie collection, um, you know, is all kind of all just coming together and, and, uh, uh, creeping its way out naturally. With bathhouse being the first single off the record, 
what about that record do you think or what about that song is a good reference or a good representation of the record in its entirety or maybe you just it was your favorite song to put out as a single you know what about bathhouse led you guys to throw that one out there first uh, that's a good question um i think it's I, I like that it's a high energy song um and it's a bit of a, an attention grabber it doesn't really there's not too like too much meandering or anything it kind of just gets to the point but um i think it does let the listener know kind of what to expect on the record which is like it's weirdly for us it's a little bit more of like a heavy metal record in a traditional sense um the guitars are tuned up from where we used to be um so everything is a little sharper and tighter and i think has a little bit more attack um but you know a lot of the i mean a lot of especially like the 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 riffs and drums and stuff i mean it's straight up like you know old metallica kind of shit you know um which is you know another thing that's all just in my back catalog of stuff i love and, and grew up with um it's ingrained but, in your dna at this point absolutely yeah there's no getting rid of it um as much as i might want to with as bad as i thought that new metallica was <laughs> i was but, gonna ask you i was gonna ask you what you thought of it but Fucking yeah. just speaking of meandering, man, like what the fuck? Where are any of those songs going ever? Just 15 minute long jack off sessions. I don't, I, man, I wanted to like it that, but holy shit, it's terrible. Anyway, um, but uh, uh, yeah, so I think just, just you know, kind of the, the, the style and sound of that song, and then the fact that there's also a sort of i don't know if it, you would say a clean vocal exactly for the chorus but there is there is a definitely a, a chorus and there's more melodic singing style um which is all over this record which is something completely new for us and new for me um there's a little fucking guitar solo and that's something we've never really done before besides cover songs um so you know there are little guitar solos throughout the record and kind of just the again, just the general mood, the way that um, the synth line kind of has this weird, eerie detuning sound at, at, at times. There's a lot of that on there, like these these wavering, wobbly, kind of spooky synths. Um, so, and, and it's the title track. It's the first song on the record, title track. It's just like, okay, this seems like the obvious choice for the first thing to throw out there for people. Yeah, you talked about earlier about how you know, when the band first started or that first record came out, how intense the live shows were today. Are you keeping in the back of your head when you're writing or recording new music? Are you keeping the live performances in mind or is that just something that you, you know, you attack after the fact? It's after the fact, which is maybe not the smartest way to do it. I mean, because just even now, like I've got to head to, uh, to a band practice here shortly and um, it's like we, we have to learn the songs after like a record's done. And often I've never played and sang the songs at the same time before. And I figure out like, Oh fuck my hands and my mouth are going at totally different rhythms here. And this is, this is really difficult. Um, so I don't really keep it in mind. Like some, sometimes I'll picture what, you know, if, if I want to start writing a song or, 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 or a part or whatever. Sometimes I'll imagine, you know, like, okay, I'm on stage. I picked up a guitar. It's time to go. What do I want to be playing? And that's how even bathhouse, that's how that main riff came, came along, which is just so straightforward 
and so simple. I just thought, man, it'd be fun to be like James Hetfield at like day on the green, 1984 fucking playing a, a sick, like ride the lightning kind of riff. Yeah. Playing basically like fight fire with fire or something. Um, so I think I was just, I think I was hyper fucking caffeinated and I was just, and I just kept playing that fucking riff. And I thought about how good this would feel to like be able to stand on stage and play this live, especially with the drums fucking with kicking in and double bass, just rattling everything. And like, like, okay, this will rule. Um, so I guess in a way I, I think about it, but usually not, not much further than that. Cause later, cause you know, I, I will just start building on ideas and recording everything. And then later it's like, ah, oh, shit, we have to figure out the logistics of how to actually like pull this off live. Um, which isn't always the easiest thing, but um, so far with this one, we're making or the the show that we have coming up. We're playing three new songs live, and they're fun as hell to to play. So I'm excited. But yeah, one thing I did notice is in the press material, it was kind of described as you know the band now kind of describes itself as anti music industry and anti bullshit. What has happened along the way and what have you seen in the scene that has kind of led you guys to be, as you said earlier, the antithesis of everything music industry and everything that, you know, I guess you despise about the music industry and the scene in particular. I know it was metalcore earlier back in the day, but is there anything today that still pisses you off and gets grinds your gears to the point where you're still angry and you're still you know, pursuing the things within this band because of that anger? I mean, it's a really a lot of the people in the music industry that, uh, besides the musicians, um, there's, and I'm not even talking about anybody that we've worked with or anybody in particular, but um, just a lot of people, I mean, the, the music industry is run by a lot of people that don't give a shit about music. Um, and it's, and it's, you know, it's a product. It's how do you sell this? What's the, what's the gimmick with this band to sell it to these people to get them to buy the fucking t-shirt? And, and it's, you know, it's a fucking factory line. Um, and that's unfortunate. Um, cause you know, music is supposed to be like art, I think, I don't know. Um, but you know, I, 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 I wouldn't even say we're totally anti-music industry because I mean we still we still play the fucking game. You know we still use Bandcamp and Spotify, which everyone knows don't pay bands or labels a fucking dime. Um, but you know we still use those uh, avenues because otherwise it's nearly impossible to get your shit to people who want it. Um, but I mean at this point, you know we 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 have no record label no booking agent, no management, um, no bullshit. Uh, there's nobody, there's nobody to kick, uh, a, a percentage of our gross sales of anything to, um, there's nobody telling us when, when we can do something, when we can't, how we should do anything. Um, we kind of just took it back to where we started with that very first record, which is like, okay, let's just do whatever the fuck we want, however the fuck we want to do it and put it out on our own terms. Um, and it's, it's fucking liberating and it's rewarding, um, uh, because then if people reacted to re if react like positively to it, um, it's genuine. It's not them reacting because it was marketed to them correctly or because we made 
a thing that's for, you know, audience X to like exactly the way that audience X likes their things. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's a more honest approach, I think. Um, and if, if other bands want to do things other ways, they like, cool, cool with us. Um, but we wanted to take, take kind of control of everything back and kind of, you know, just eliminate as much of the bullshit as we possibly can. I do have one question about going back to bathhouse, the record we, we talked about, you know, you mentioned clean vocals and then you mentioned, you know, incorporating guitar solos and everything in there. And as people who have followed the lion's daughter over the years, obviously there's this, this aura of the band or this atmosphere for lack of a better term that is, you know, very heavy, dark. Um, Do you think that, the incorporation of a little bit more of the clean vocal side and the guitar solos kind of helped you build the atmosphere you were looking to create on this one? I think so. I mean, guitar solos are just fucking fun, honestly. Um, and they just help to, you know, it's a, it's a little bolt of lightning in the middle of a fucking song. Um, but I think, you know, just a, like a screamed, barked, fucking growled, whatever, um, vocal is just really limiting. Um, it can be great, obviously, but I, I, to me, I feel like that means the music has to do so much, uh, to keep your attention since the vocal is really not doing anything except kind of creating a percussive sound. Um, so I think through using a bit of melody in the vocal, um, yeah, I kind of just creates a ton of new possibilities and i think it it allowed us to make like a much deeper record um because it's easier as a human it's easier to connect with the melody of a human voice that's singing words versus you know the sound of a of a guitar or a synthesizer or, or whatever you know um so i think there being kind of that i mean this sounds kind of like hippie shit but that human to human connection that's kind of kind of there in the music that way. Um, I think it just allows you to, to do more where previously all we kind of really did with, you know, we'll, we'll call that, that connection that you might have to the voice was like, Hey, it's anger. This is the, this is the emotion. It's just anger. It's just screaming. It's rage. It's anger. Um, and I don't know by, by I, I think we've, you have some more options by doing some different vocal styles. Um, and, you know, it's just, you know, again, just careful to keep it honest. Um, it's not, you know, it's not that metalcore thing where it's like brutal scream followed by, yeah, like a totally different voice. And it's like, like you're singing in multiple, like you're being multiple characters or something. It's not like that. It's all, it's all still me and still, uh, you know, fits, you know, the, the, the character of, of, each song again it was a thing where it wasn't like a conscious decision like like ah this song let's let's be a little more singing on this one it was just kind of like just vocally doing the things that you know the the music and the songs called for i don't want to take up too much more of your time but there are a few questions i have left for you a few of them are fun but the next two in particular i was really interested in where did you uh, and we'll get into the the cover art here in a minute but Thematically and lyrically, where did you take this record? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I don't know that I'm even totally sure. Um, 
I mean, that's, that's honestly like how it's usually how these records go where like after it's done, I have to look at it and go like, what the fuck does this mean? Like, where did these words come from? Like, what the fuck is this? But this one, especially, you know, cause I didn't assign like a, a, a any setting to where, you know, the record takes place or, uh, where the songs are, or, uh, you know, or, or characters or a time or anything. So the words just kind of came, um, and I don't know. So weirdly, like a lot of it's pretty vague, but a lot of it's really, really specific and it's, it's personal in a way that it wasn't before where a lot of it was, you know, just kind of just horror stories that are about somebody else. You know, it's, it's all characters and horror stories. There's a lot more of me in there. Um, in ways that, you know, aren't so like, you know, I feel sad or fucking what I like. It's, it's try to keep it not corny, but, um, uh, just the real shit that I was, I was kind of going through a kind of a fucking gnarly time, uh, when I wrote this record and that stuff all kind of came out. But again, it's in ways where like, even if you knew specifically like what was going on with me and my personal life around that time, I don't think you could read any of those lyrics and understand how it relates at all. But um, to me, it was, you know, it was a lot of just taking like this, this ugly, ugly shit that was, you know, in my head that, you know, I was kind of thinking and feeling and kind of just scooping it out and fucking throwing it onto a page. Um, so that's probably not, a very helpful answer um, to, to say, like, to say, I don't know what it's, what it's about, but um, in a way, yeah, in a way, but then there are things, there are things and like, they're too personal to even like admit or point out, but there are also, there are some things that are so fucking specific that, that you would probably think were abstract because, because they're almost, they're borderline um, like satirical. Okay. So, I gotcha. Yeah, that makes perfect I don't know. sense. I think that makes perfect sense. Yeah, I, I need to figure I mean, I've always been the worst at talking about lyrics always, <laughs> but um, I, 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 should, I should just come up with something to like yeah, have come a better up with a answer. Cool, but... Yeah, just come up with a cool you know, story and just give that out to anybody that asks you that moving forward. Just in, yeah. I think it's not These are all, I met, a, I met an old sailor one night late in a bar and he told me his life story. There you go. That's the record. Yes, there you go. But uh, anyway, man, talk to me a little bit about the album artwork. Obviously, that's the first thing a lot of people are going to see when they see the uh, you know, the work out there. But uh, talk to me a little bit about the idea behind that one, who you worked with, and how that all kind of came together. So that is an artist from the UK named uh, Daniel Peacock. Um, and it's like these... Um, a lot of people think it's AI, but it's actually... I, I think it's mind-blowing that he made something even weirder than what an AI would make. Um, and I, I guess he just, it's like a, he does digital painting or something, but, um, the idea was like, if you're familiar with our last couple album covers, we worked, worked with, uh, Mothmeister from Belgium who are fucking great, but they, they do these like, um, photographs of these figures, these like masked figures and, you know, and masks and robes and, um, you know, they're, they're creepy and mysterious. Um, and that fit with the tone of the past couple records, which the tone was a little, it was a little 
colder. It was a little like, I don't know. There, there was more, I don't know, fucking say it was like sexy or, or something because we've definitely never been a sexy fucking band. But um, there, it was a little more like things were a little more shrouded in, in mystery um, and it fit. So with this record, um, this record's it's, it's different than the other ones. It's more of an attack. Um, it's it's not as cold. It doesn't really spend as much time kind of setting up and building and letting you breathe. Like it, it's it's a little bit more of a of a fucking ripper. Um, it's you know we cut the fat from things normally every album we've done is like 10 songs and there's always one song I hate. Well, this time there are nine songs. Cause I went ahead and I just didn't write that 10th song that I don't like, you know what I mean? Just kind of kept it all, it all lean. And you know, we had somebody different, uh, record and produce it. The, so the production's different. Everything's a little, a little brighter and more in your face. And I thought the artwork should represent that where instead of, you know, this masked mysterious figure, well, you've got this thing that is just fucking, naked and terrifying and on the loose and like right outside your house, you know? Um, so it was almost just like, okay, what, like what would happen if you, what happens if you take the mask off that figure, you know, what happens if you take the robe and the mask off that figure that's hiding, like what's underneath and Oh shit. What's underneath is this terrifying fucking thing. So, um, that's why it just, yeah, it made sense to me. Like it kind of, it sets, it sets the tone. I think as well that like this record's gonna be a little different than than the last ones. What better timing to put the uh, the album announcement and everything out than? I guess it's kind of ironic. It's like an alien figure on the uh, album cover, and then there's these congressional hearings where basically everybody's like, "Yep, aliens are real, and they could be harming us." So, <laughs> like, what a, what an ironic time to uh, have that come out. Is that a thing that's happening? I told you I'm out of touch. Oh, yeah, dude. You'll have to look it up after this. But uh, yesterday there was like these congressional hearings and these guys were testifying before Congress and all the senators and House reps were asking them about it. And this one guy, like, I guess the whistleblower was just like, yeah, they were like, can these things harm us? And the guy responded with, and I'm paraphrasing here, he was like, what I've seen is very disturbing. And I guess take that as you will. I don't know. I can be pretty skeptical, but uh, just kind of ironic that that's kind of in the news right now. And then there's like no this. No shit. Yeah. You'll have do, to they, up. do those aliens have weird, terrifying titties like our uh, album covers does? I don't know. I guess we'll soon find out. Hope, fingers crossed. <laughs> but anyway, man, just a couple fun questions left for you. Um, you know, I ask this to every band that's getting ready to put out a new record just to kind of, you know, plug what they love about it. You know, looking back on Bathhouse, you know, what are you most proud of in particular? Man, I'm, I think it's by far the best record that I've ever been a part of in any capacity. Um, I love that we were able to branch out and write what feel more like songs um, versus, you know, especially that early stuff. That early stuff, it's a collection of riffs. It's, oh, this riff goes with that one, and it goes with that one, and goes with that one. Okay, and repeat this part. Okay, I guess that's a song. It's a bunch of riffs, and I'll scream over it. Um, that is something that's pretty easy to do, but to simplify things and write an actual fucking song um, that has a little bit more of like a pop song structure and have it come out 
not corny and i don't those those things might come really easy to some people but that's not that's something i've never really fucked with before um i've never written songs that were songs that had um a, a bit of a, a melody and and you know maybe had uh little hooks and choruses and um i don't know i i i i think anything that i don't know i don't want i mean it's i, I don't want to like pat myself on the back t- t- too much but i'm just i'm proud of it because i feel like i kind of like i i feel like i outdid myself a little bit as far as like i didn't think that this was a record that i i could write i didn't think this was a a record that the lion's daughter had in them like i would love to time travel uh you know 10 years back and hand this to us and be like this is what your record in 2023 is going to sound like and be like holy fuck how did we get there i i would i would i would listen to this record and be like how does somebody even write something like that um so you know just the the evolution of the band and the way that you know we figured out how to incorporate right synthesizers and then how to use them well and what to do with them and how to make it fit into a song and balance it with all of this and um and just put together nine songs that I think are really fucking awesome that don't really sound exactly like anybody else either. Um, I think it's, I don't know. I, I, I think it's cool. I think we could, um, you know, we could, it's kind of funny. I'm like, man, with like the shit that, that people like, and if I like look at some festival or something, and I see who all the headliners are and, you know, uh, you know, people love synth wave and love, you know, the, uh, John Carpenter when he tours live and stuff like that. And it's just like, man, we're like a combination of all the best shit. We could be everyone's favorite band if they just knew who the fuck we were, you know? Yeah, for sure. You guys are doing really cool, very innovative things right now. And, you know, Bathhouse was phenomenal. I haven't, I've yet to hear the entire record, but I, I cannot wait. I've been, you know, fans for you guys for fans of you guys for a few years and kind of followed so uh yeah you guys are doing some really cool innovative things man and uh i can't wait to see you when you come up here to indy uh in november but uh i told you i had two last fun questions Uh, i'm gonna put you on the spot first one i have for you top three horror movies uh the thing american werewolf in london reanimator gotcha all right second one favorite top three favorite heavy metal albums albums shit um (laughs) Rain Usually gets everybody. Yeah. Uh, shit. First three to come to my rain and blood through silver and blood. Uh, painkiller. Awesome. And that's all I got for you, man. I really appreciate awesome. you taking the time to do this. The new, the lion's daughter record bathhouse is out October 13th, which is Friday, the 13th. How fitting of this year, Rick, thanks so much for doing this man. And uh, best of luck on this record cycle. I hope, uh, I hope people take the time to really, you know, dive into some of your records beforehand before this record comes out. Um, but yeah, it's such an experience. If you're a fan of horror, if you're a fan of extreme music, there's no way, like Rick just said, there's no way you won't enjoy this band. So highly recommended Rick. Thanks again for doing this, my friend. That's very nice of you to say. I appreciate that. Thanks for checking out that interview with Rick from The Lion's Daughter. Again, their new record, Bathhouse, is out October 13th. But now let's go ahead and dive into our interview 
with Eve. We were joined by Brian and Ian from the band. They are based out of Portland, Maine, and play a atmospheric post-black metal style. Their new record, Fervor, is out right now. So let's go ahead and listen to a clip from that record. This song is called Into Perdition. think it's been we've been happy with it like we've been able to learn from it as well like that's something that Ian and I always put like a really big emphasis on um we would like to sort of reflect on when a release has been out for a little while we get a little bit of time uh and a little bit of separation from it and we can kind of see like how people have reacted to it um, especially people that we don't know who don't care if they like throw a criticism, you know, cause like right. we, we definitely like, um, we like like reading criticisms and stuff with like, I would say within reason, like there's definitely some where you can't really put too much weight on it, but we, yeah, we definitely pay attention and, and, uh, if we see one and it makes makes sense to us, then we definitely like take it into consideration. So, but um, overall, like, yeah, I, I think the reception has been good and we've been happy with it. And so, yeah, yeah we definitely take that stuff to heart. I mean, we, we can kind of tell like if someone doesn't like it because it's not their not their their bag, their style, like that's totally fine. Um, but if someone has like a, a like a well thought out criticism, like we listen to it and we're like, yeah, all right, maybe that's something to think about for the next, the next album, the next, you know, thing. We, right yeah. Now. Well, I mean, me and you, like, we talk about that stuff more than if anything else, really. Like if we see a criticism that like we both think is, yeah, like Ian said, well thought out that we, we, him and I discuss that a lot more than we will if like someone really likes the album just cause, um, you know, obviously both of those things are, are helpful, but I do think if somebody has like, Hey, I liked the, the album overall, but I didn't like X thing about it. Um, then like for, for example, one of the, I think one of the main things with fervor was, um, 
there was a few criticisms that we thought made sense where uh, the listener thought that we tried to do a little bit too much as far as experimentation and sort of uh, branching outside of uh, the lanes, basically. Um, and that some some stuff didn't really flow together. So, I mean, that's, to me, a pretty reasonable criticism and one we weren't really surprised to hear because we were pretty, we were pretty, like, uninhibited and, and unrestrained as far as composition choices and stuff like that. So... What, at what point do you learn to take these things in stride, right? At what point do you stop taking, I guess, maybe offense is the wrong word, or stop taking it to heart, and maybe just come at it with this point of view that people just have different opinions and that's okay. But in the beginning, did it hurt? Or did you always have this mindset? Always been like that, I feel like, right? I mean, I could think of the very first time that... Do you remember, like, the very first time we saw, like, criticism of something? I really, really wish I did. It, wish I, <laughs> I, I can remember the first time that I saw it was, like, with Purge. There was, there was like, this review um, that they clearly put a lot of time into, and they had quite a few criticisms, which is fair. Um, and we were... Like, we were not hurt by it. Yeah, no. I There's been very just, few things that were hurtful, right? Yeah, yeah. And like when we started <laughs> this, like we started this with no expectations. It's like such a niche genre of music, anyway. It's like we just we just made this because it made us happy. It was music we wanted to make, and like I don't know, if someone didn't like it, then that's totally valid. That's yeah, fine. especially with the older stuff. Right? Oh, I mean, we don't like a sucks. lot of the older yeah. stuff. We don't. We, <laughs> it's true. Like, it's funny because you said our junior album, but we have we another don't even, album out yeah. there that we don't. We well, don't like very much. We look at like Fervor as like our second album, really, and um, yeah. Purge is like more of a demo. I mean, it, I don't really care either way. Like, however people want to um, classify it is fine, but for like us we we look at it as a demo for sure so going back uh that second album or i guess the you said you look at this one more as a the second album right yeah the, yeah yeah for resistance yeah and so looking back on the last release which was correct me if i'm wrong it was in 2020 right phantoms made permanent that was yep. 2020 mm -hmm. so that was kind of right there smack dab at the beginning of what everybody knows. I hate going into the pandemic, but it's always interesting to talk to people who have an album that come out that comes out like a couple years after that. Yeah. What was that like releasing that record at that point in time? And then immediately following that, did it, did that at all hinder the band and the creative process for this new record? Yeah. I mean, it hindered us so much, dude. So much. Oh, my God. But I don't know, Ian, if you want to talk about, like, what it, the Phantoms released, first of all. Well, yeah, I think... And honestly, I can't even... We, it was, like, winter of 2020, right? It was, was September it? 2020. Okay, so it was earlier. So, yeah. I mean, we had... We even had, like, some shows lined up that got canceled. Yeah. Um, so, like, in the spring, we thought we were going to do some more shows um, and be more of a live presence than we yeah. were a ever able to do. Um, so that got kind of fucked up. And then the actual uh, printing of vinyl got pushed back to like the manuf the distribution got all messed up. Yeah, that took forever. Um, 
So yeah, it doesn't seem like it was good for any band <laughs> or music. Yeah. I it was like I mean, it took a long time for it to come out from the time that it was done and we had a label lined up for it. Um cuz yeah, I mean, dude, I don't even know. I guess it was like over a year, year and a half maybe that it was done and like the label had it before it came out. Um and then like after that we already so by the time phantoms came out we'd already written like probably like three ish songs for fervor would you say we yeah. definitely had a couple yeah so um but at that time everybody in the band lived in connecticut and i lived in maine so uh i was going down to connecticut to new haven for practice and that's already pretty tough because everybody's kind of got to take like a couple days off and basically the way that we would do it is like once a month we would set a couple days aside i would come down and we would do like all day practices um and then that sort of turned into like we we're doing all day like writing sessions and like trying to rehearse for recording but that like so many practices we had to cancel because covid stuff right like someone either got it or we thought they might have it and you like can't risk it especially when it was like early like really early days like the and like within like the first year where there was a lot more uncertainty so um we were doing that and then even when i moved back i moved back to connecticut while we were like finishing up writing i mean even then it's still it was still like a big challenge and covid was still going on so yeah it was It hurt us for sure. It hurt motivation big time. Strangely enough, though, I feel like it gave us more time because because with Fervor we did most of yeah. it all ourselves, like the recording. Um, with Phantoms, like Brian said, we did like twelve hour days where we just play all day, all sleep in the same room, wake yeah. up, do the exact same thing again, and then I think we we tracked the whole record in like th- maybe three days, like yeah. dubs and everything. Yeah, and then this we. Took we took so our time. much longer. We took our time because we just we had the time. Yeah. Was there ever a point, and maybe this is a tough question, was there ever a point that you didn't think that Forever was gonna come out? Honestly, no. Not not from my perspective. Yeah, I don't th- I don't think there was a point where I didn't think it was gonna come out, but I mean it was hard and like I was really a challenge like to write it and get it where we were happy with it, and there was like a lot of perseverance. Definitely more than other stuff. Like there was some, there was some, uh, some struggles for sure. And people were, I mean, we we're all like really good friends, the four of us, extremely good friends. But you know, the reality is like we all have lives, we all have full time jobs, we all have stuff going on, we all have problems, and um, other bands and other obligations, and like it can just be really hard to you want to make it as good as possible and you want to make something that we could all be proud of. And like with that comes a lot of sacrifice from everybody. Um, and like, that's definitely not always fun. It's definitely not always, always fun, but in the end it's worth it for sure. Yeah. I mean, getting four people to do anything is, is tough. Yeah. Let alone something with this commitment. Especially like when we get out, you know, you get out of work and like we all get to the space at seven and then we're like really trying to hammer on stuff and like people are already tired and yeah, I mean, like you can get frustrated for sure. Um, But 
for the most part, like practicing and writing it, it wasn't, it was fun, but you know, there was times where we had to really like push through it to make, get it to a point where you're happy with it. Now this is a stereotypical question. So forgive me. And I know we kind of just bounced around or this is going to be, should have been asked before uh, the COVID question, but for those unfamiliar with the band and how it all kind of came together, would you mind give a, giving us the quick clip notes of how this all kind of came to be? Obviously, you guys are a Northeastern-based band. Um, a lot of people might be familiar with a lot of Northeast like hardcore and uh, stuff of that nature. So how did you guys walk us through how you guys kind of landed on this black metal, extreme metal, I guess, atmospheric approach that you all have developed over the years? Well, it's, it's funny that he, you mentioned the Northeast, like, hardcore stuff, because Ian's wearing the Kidnap shirt right now, which is Gabe's, um, like, power violence band. Gabe's our other guitarist. Mm-hmm. And Caleb plays drums in this band, Intercourse, who are kind of like a noise, noisy kind of hardcore thing. So I think that stuff is definitely there. But uh, I don't know, Ian, if you want to speak more to... Well, I mean, specifically how me and Brian's... I've always, like been into music and I was playing instruments for quite a bit and then I uh, met Brian when he moved here during high school we kind of bonded over music um, and then he eventually picked up the bass so we could play together and it started off as like a you know home from college basement EP type that was the first music we ever wrote together um, in terms of like the style of music Honestly, I'd probably accredit that to to Brian's influence because my music taste is so all over the place. I used to be like super into metal when I was in like middle school. And then, um, you know, I started going to school for for jazz music and they kind of were very pretentious about that type of stuff. And they, you know, they kind of shit on metal musicians. But then... um, the more stuff Brian was showing me and the more I got back into it, I'm just like, this is like the most expressive and creatively fulfilling music out there. So we kind of had the intersection like with like Alcest and that type of stuff, like yeah. Lantlos, Alcest. And, you know, cause like Ian said, like he was in school for like guitar. And so I think it was like an easy intersection where, those bands like particularly Alsace, there's like black metal elements in the music um but there's a lot of other stuff going on and it's definitely like a it was an easy kind of like sell i feel like for you at that point in when where it's like you're not going straight from um you're not going straight into like really extreme really heavy shit right there's like a little bit of a edge to it but it's not like super super dark stuff or anything like that i think the yeah the main point was like stuff that was super melodic was yeah. kind of my my crossover and then like i always loved post-rock too so there's elements of that yeah and then and then you know you just want more and more and then you exactly. start hearing bits of like dissonance and you're like okay before you know it you're just listening to the most like dissonant like yeah jarring jarring stuff yeah, because at that point, we were just babies. Like, we were, like, 18. So and that was, like, 10 years ago. So, I mean, you know, yeah, like Ian said, I mean, like, once you're in, you're kind of in for life and as far as metal goes. And um, not that that's, like, when I first started listening to it or anything, but it definitely, like, I think it per- you progress for sure. And 
and then you're you're really in, into it deep. So I I guess like things kind of started like you said around ten years ago was when you know the the black metal thing kind of started mm-hmm. and that was the whole the huge movement of the the black gaze the shoe gaze the deaf heavens of the world you mentioned Alcest and stuff like that who unfortunately for some weird reason like the deaf heavens of the world with the shoe gaze influence got a lot of criticism and still kind of do to this day weirdly mm-hmm. did you guys ever run into that with people at all i don't know i don't um, think so well i think i think people who are typically crit- critical of that type of music have made comments where it's like oh they're either too melodic or too pope oh yeah i guess that's true we've gotten that before. oh we saw one recently yeah we saw a really weird one recently that didn't make a whole lot of sense where this guy said we were he said we were too post for our own good which doesn't <laughs> which didn't really make that much sense that was probably that what does that even really, mean though? i don't even know but he hated the album so much it was pretty funny didn't He's, like it and he didn't like how the um the riffs weren't atonal so interesting yeah i don't know but in general not really i just think we're just we're just not like if we were as popular as deaf heaven i'm sure that that would happen but we're just nowhere even remotely close to that level and i feel like you kind of gotta i think enough people gotta be getting behind you for you to really get a lot of hate (laughs) yeah yeah i think i don't know it's such a extreme music and fans in general or it's such a weird thing right where I don't want to say maybe it is kind of gatekeeping in a way, but I personally think like black metal is when it comes to extreme music in general is one of the most. It's like a blank canvas, right? Like you can do so much with it that there are limitless possibilities and people just hate when you try and bend the stereotypical rules of black metal. Yeah. Well, that's how we feel like, like exactly what you said. Like it, there are like no rules and it's really easy to work different elements. And I didn't mean to cut you off, but I just wanted to agree with you on that, on that one point. Yeah. And I was just going to ask it and maybe you kind of were jumping into this, but is that why you guys were so gravitated toward creating this is because you were able to, you know, obviously Ian, you said you were, you know, going to school for music and uh, professionally trained in like you know jazz musicianship and whatnot. Did this style of music, is this what kind of drew you guys to it was, like I said, this blank canvas that gave you these endless opportunities to create these different atmospheres and soundscapes and just do things with your instruments that otherwise might not fit the mold of another genre of metal. Yeah, I think so. If we have like one mantra of our music we make, it's to make it better than the last thing that we wrote. Um, so the fact that there are no rules is super helpful. I, I don't think we have any like intention of being like, let's write the weirdest thing we can or like, yeah. let's <laughs> go off the rails just so we can. But like just being super earnest and like, do we genuinely like this riff or do we like do we like like the timbres or like the textures that are going on here? Like, if so, it doesn't it doesn't matter to us if it falls within the the black metal or the black gaze or whatever genre yeah. you want to put it in. I feel like what, what honestly, like to answer part of your question and like for I think what drew us to this style the most is probably like the emotional element of it. I think that's probably the the main thing. Um, and that I mean. 
it's just a very, very expressive form of music, probably in my eyes, the most. But I mean, that said, like, we don't think of Eve as an atmospheric black metal band or anything. Like, I don't know. I like to just say it's atmospheric metal or something along those lines. Like, we like to retain a certain element of melody and atmosphere. And I think that's something where we stay focused on. But we definitely don't have any rules and we don't, we wouldn't necessarily say anything like black, that we're black metal. I also think Which it's is just, fine. As, it's fine if people say that, but yeah. Yeah, totally. I, there's also just like such a, a bigger dynamic range because like aggressive music already has the extreme, like the extreme aggression on one end. And it could be as super subtle and ambient as we want on the other end. A lot of other music doesn't have that innately because it's like a lot of music doesn't have aggressive or like screaming vocals. So it's already limited in the capacity that it's like, you know, they only have clean vocals or they only have like up until a certain amount of aggression. Yeah. But dynamically, this music can just run the gamut. It's like you, right. you have no, no, no borders. I agree. Yeah, I agree. So when we look back on Phantoms Made Permanent and then if we fast forward to the new record, there's a lot of things that stand out in particular to me. And a lot of those come down to, it seems like there's a lot of evolution in terms of the sounds of the rhythm section in particular and the vocal, I guess, maybe it's not the production, but maybe I guess the vocal sounds that come across on this album that really enhance the atmospheric experience that we've talked about. When you guys were recording this and when you were going into this new record, was that in the back of your head that you wanted to, like you said, make this a more emotional experience than you had previously? You said you look back on those older records and you're like, yeah, you weren't happy with them. Did you look at, is it because you didn't feel like you captured the emotions that you wanted to on those albums? I think Phantoms we liked, like, so when we're, when we're talking about um, stuff that we weren't happy with, it's really just like, the first demo and then Purge, Purge, which we consider to be the second yeah. demo. But we were just like very inexperienced at that time. And you have to start somewhere. And like, that's where we started. Um, and that's fine. But Phantoms, we, there's, I think there's like a lot of good that we still see in that record. But for what we wanted to improve with Fervor, it wasn't so much the emotional stuff, I don't think. And Ian, you can correct me if I'm wrong. But it was a little bit more we wanted to, I think we wanted to get more across in one album than we did with Phantoms, where Phantoms is like pretty much an atmospheric black metal record-ish, and it's pretty on rails, you know, um, and the production's pretty raw, and with Fervor, we wanted there to be um, a better production, more diverse music more dynamics and in general more more emotions that uh, sort of are across an array rather than phantoms where i think it was like pretty narrow i don't know if you agree with, with that yeah no I, I totally agree and josh to your to your question i almost think the opposite of like the old stuff that we don't like the, the the only things that I do like about it is the emotion. Yeah, it's not like an emotion. Oh, okay. Because yeah. I feel like that, that emotion is the only thing that's genuine. Dude, and then yeah. Listening back to it, it's more like 
almost mechanical stuff like okay this song form makes no sense like, yeah. this is the most taxing thing to listen to right um but the actual emotion is like the only thing that i still connect to raw um, and yeah it's it's yeah it's a little rough yeah um, and on the on the newer stuff i think we were we just had a we had more experience so we had more of a capacity to think about more elements at once when we were doing the old stuff it just like all right let's just like see if we can focus long enough to get some shit down yeah now we're like okay we know what to we know we go through the list we think about form we think about tones like a lot more like the stuff that like comes more natural to us like frees up more space and guitar arrangements like with you and Gabe yeah way yeah, so dude. much time is spent just on the guitar parts and how they work together way more intricate like and, and just more thoughtful yeah what have you guys found to be the most important component in creating the atmosphere you're trying to achieve while also making sure like you said the you know the musical arrangements fit within the confines of the song right where you said earlier maybe some parts were crazy and maybe they didn't make sense they were maybe a little bit too sporadic and technical but maybe this one's a little bit more organized in particular but how do you make sure you're still capturing said atmosphere while also being better songwriters i guess for lack of a better description no, that's a good description because dude that's the hardest thing is like yeah like we're it's like such a hard balance to find between trying to make the music as interesting as we want it to be have as much movement as we want it to have and like be engaging while also having an atmosphere and like having that sort of big like epic sound because and dude we've talked about this so much like Ian and i've talked about this so much where there's bands we listen to and they play the same riff like 24 times in a row and it's like awesome and we yeah, love fun. it but then we like try to do anything remotely similar to that. And we're like, this is so boring. It's so bad. I hate this. What were we thinking? So it's, I don't know. I really, did, I don't know. I guess, how do we do that? I think it's just, we just try to write songs that are, we're happy with. And we just sort of let things come out how they come out. And we like chip away at them and we refine them. And we try to make them as best as we can possibly make them uh, yeah yeah I, I would say two things i would say the first thing is like have an opinion on everything like yeah. don't we, we don't want to just write riffs just to fill space right it doesn't have to be like a exactly. favorite riff but at least having a, a, an opinion on it and like approach everything with intent mm -hmm. like this is going on the record so we want to think about every element yeah. and the second thing i would say is just like the trust we had in each other. I don't play drums. I don't know how to write a good drum riff. Yeah. Caleb does. Like, Caleb's a sick drummer. Um, Gabe's a great guitarist, great arranger. Like, I trust these dudes. Yeah. We have such an overlap in our tastes, but we also have things that make us unique, and we all have strengths to, to bring to the table. That That's... works out in a very harmonious way. And that, like, helps to not keep us, like, too one-dimensional, too, because, like, Ian will have a riff, um, and I'm like... I just like don't I don't really like it um which that doesn't happen that often to be fair but it, it can happen where it's like we he might not like something that I've written or I might not like something that he's written but we'll just do it anyways you know we'll go with it anyways because we trust the other person's opinion like it might not be landing with me right now but it probably will later or 
even if it doesn't it doesn't ever have to be my favorite riff it's it's still um something that we're gonna work work out and and make into something that's like worthy to be on the recording yeah there's definitely been times where like especially well, on fervor in particular where like we'll have a riff ready to go and we're lukewarm on it we're like this kind of sucks and then you know gabe will play some some lead over it and we're like okay this yeah, is yeah. or we just like, scrap just, it like, like sometimes we take riffs really far and then we scrap them like that that happened on fervor for sure we were we had riffs and songs for months or like even probably years until eventually we were just like it's just not cutting it like you get further into the record into writing the record and you're like yeah this riff's just not cutting it and you scrap it and and so we're never like I don't know. We never like try to take the easy way, I guess, where it's like, sure would be nice if we didn't scrap this riff. That's like a minute and a half of music that we've already been playing for all these months. But then, you know, you kind of have to just like take a step back and be like, yeah, no, it's not. It's just not good enough. We're just going to have to write more. Or if it just doesn't fit. Yeah. Like we're not we're not afraid to let things go. Like on our on our collective hard drives, we probably have like the so much of another album or something yeah collectively mm -hmm. I've, I've asked this question before and everybody kind of gives a similar response when it comes to like creating music or knowing when a riff works or you know a drum riff works or whatever or a bass line it's always the same comment that it's just feel and you know it when you know it in a way you can just kind of feel it in your gut do you agree with that, first of all? And the second part is, do you think that being a fan of music and listening to music and I guess perhaps in your guys' case, understanding the uh, maybe music theory has left a positive impact on knowing when something works and when it doesn't? Well, we get hype. Like when we have a, a riff from practice that we really like, like if we just wrote it and we're like leaving practice, driving back to Ian's or whatever, we just listen to it over and over and over. And we're like, <laughs> oh my God, it's so good, so good, so good. I can't wait to do this. I can't wait to, to do this vocal thing or this guitar thing. So that definitely happens. And I feel like for me and you, that happens more with like the really melodic shit. Like, especially if we, if Ian and I bring her up to practice and then Gabe like writes a lead on it and it's, and Caleb's got his drum part and it's like, you take it from just being Ian and I in like um, my, my room or like his room on just guitars. And then you have it like with the amps cranked with the whole band and everything. And like the riff really starts to come alive. That's when I feel like that's when you really know that it's, it's good, but um, I don't yeah. know. Cause it's interesting. It's interesting the way that we're writing stuff for our next release. Now we're doing it a little bit differently. So it's gotta like feel good to play and i think in terms of like the whole theory thing i think as a whole that actually kind of fucked me up more than it's helped because uh going through like an academic sense of music kind of got me very mechanical and too focused on the rules and like i wasn't playing with a lot of people in in person so it wasn't until like i started playing in like a live band context and like actually feeling things and um that it was more freeing and like therefore it was better to listen to because there's nothing worse than listening to something that's like oh man this riff is like technically good but it just doesn't feel good no one's going to enjoy that yeah i feel like we both change like we've both changed so much from when we i mean because um you know you and i have been playing 
and writing with each other so much for so long that there's like there's a very strong chemistry between when we're playing that um if we're like sitting there trying to write uh we can very easily like finish each other's sentences like on on guitar and you always kind of we always kind of know where each other is gonna land i don't know it's i think it just does it really that stuff comes from how when we started out we were so inexperienced and we kind of have been learning and progressing always together in the same band um so it's just you know your your question about the the theory thing kind of got me thinking about how yeah ian you had that experience where you've kind of you've kind of grown and branched out from that and then from my background was not in theory at all and i still really don't uh, use it even if I might know a little bit of it I'm not really um, ever thinking of it and we don't we don't really talk if we're trying to communicate parts it's mostly like just timing and like counting and, and not like much theory outside of that there's also not a lot of theory that's good for explaining dissonance because I feel like a lot of theory is like how to make things harmonious and melodic and feel sounding correctly right and a lot of this a lot of this music just like is dissonant it yeah. does maybe doesn't follow conventional rules and that's hard to it's hard to teach you just have to ingest this music and like yeah you know really it's just more of a feeling experience it we might not even want it to sound technically right a lot of the time like i feel like we like it when things are just coming out in sort of like a weird and inexplicable way and it takes us a while to kind of figure out exactly what it is that's going on even like how to if we have a riff like one of us writes a riff and we're trying to teach it to each other and Ian will be like, how are you counting that? And I'm like, I have no idea. And then we got to sit there and try to, and sometimes it's like those riffs come out really kind of interesting without you even knowing it. And definitely the most frustrating part of the process. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I just remember sometimes of just being like, well, how are you, like, how do you know where the downbeat is? Like, I know. How do you think of this? Yeah. It's, it's funny how it works out like that sometimes. Yeah. I think just hitting on a couple tracks in particular that are probably my two favorite and there's such a not an intertwining but it almost feels like there's this duality between them and it's the opener and closer with past pulses and into perdition. I think specifically going into past pulses is such a strong opener that really showcases you know what we're in store for with fervor and what we can expect from the album but then again there are these twists and turns along the way but such a i, I hate to use the word beautiful but it's very it's very atmospheric in its approach but it's very a wall of sound that doesn't hit you too hard in a way i try to put this into words and sometimes it comes across very very dumb but i don't know that's how i perceive the art of it no it makes yeah, sense I, it makes sense i think it's such a strong opener that and there's these beautiful you know guitar parts and the the melodies and you know there's obviously the classic tremolo tremolo pick black metal melodies on there um but again there's just this strong brute force that you feel on that opener mm -hmm. and then into perdition kind of closes things off and really wraps everything up with this again these atmospheric parts and the guitar work on that track in particular some of my you know favorite guitar passages on the record and the way that it sends you off is so well done. So I guess my question is, 
how did you land on those two as the opener and closer of the album? And then did it make sense to, or how did you make it make sense to interweave the tracks in between? Like, how did you narrow down the track listing of the record? So sometimes it's just, you know, we have all the songs written. We find two songs that we think go together. Yeah. And then we're like, okay, now we have two songs that go together. What would the third song be? What would the fourth song be? So it's not really thinking of the bookends. Right. It's just finding whatever first two songs would mesh mm-hmm. and then just kind of building off of that. I mean, we'll sit there and we did this, I think, with Fervor and Phantoms, where we have the, all the all the songs written. And then Ian and I will just say, okay, well, how do we want to order these? We'll throw them in order. And then we'll listen to that order. And then we'll be like, nah, we'll change some stuff. We'll listen to that order. So we like sort of like demo um, uh, track listings, basically, right? And where until, and I know for sure we did that a lot with Phantoms, and I think we did it with Curter too. But um, with Past Pulses and Interdition, I think like you're spot on, Josh, with what you were saying, where, you know, you were saying that Past Pulses kind of sets you up nicely. That aggression is there, and that that type of aggression comes through in various parts of the album, and then into perdition wraps it up nicely. And I, uh, I think into perdition is the most, in my opinion, like emotional. But I don't know. I find it way more interesting to hear like what you're saying, Josh, where you you're talking about what your impression of the album is. That's way more interesting to me than. You know, because like, I just have no idea how how it comes off to other people. And like, I can think about how it comes off to Ian and I, but it's like, that's not, I mean, I think it's just as valid what your view of the the order is and what your view of like the, um, the emotions are than like how we could even try to describe it. It's almost like once it, once it kind of leaves and it's done and, and it's out there for people to listen to, it's like. I'm open to other people's interpretations of, of it. You know what I mean? Like we don't like, it's not, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm doing a, not a great job of, of explaining it, but you know, we basically just felt like this is the order that sounds, sounds right to us. And this is how we like to listen to the record basically. Yeah. I love hearing people's um, what their favorite songs are. Cause I feel Same. like it's always different. Right. Because everyone, cause I mean, the songs are all, I mean, I think they make sense. Again, I've been listening to them for years at this point, but everybody's, there's no like front runner, it seems like. Uh-huh. Everybody has a different opinion. And, and, pe- um, and we yeah. saw multiple times that people felt that uh, Shards, which is a sixth track, people like weren't really feeling that song. Um, we saw like multiple people say that. And we were like, damn, that was like our favorite song. And we, to- <laughs> we totally thought it fit too. So. And, and that's fine. Like if it's to us and it doesn't fit to them and there's no like rule, you know, no one, no one has to be right. That's why it's so interesting to me to, to hear like other people's in- interpretations of it. I've also heard some people were like with the first two songs in the album, they're arguably the most aggressive ones. So right. it's, some people felt that it set off yeah. set up false expectations. Off. Yeah. So you have these like more aggressive ones up front and then it kind of gets more, you know, pretty for lack of a better term i mean it's just all, interesting here. all three all three of us are gonna have our way that we listen to music and our tastes and our way that we view albums and how we want them to sound so that's just 
you know, it's just going to end up that way. Like I've got a very, I have very specific tastes and I'm sure Josh that you do too. And I know Ian does. And like, so that's why like going way back to your earlier question, like that's why criticism just doesn't really hurt. It's just because I get it. <laughs> I'm, it's okay if you don't like it, you know? I've said this numerous times on the podcast, so people are probably just sick and tired of me saying it, but I heard someone say one time that art should never be an answer. It should be a question mark. And I think that is perfect in terms of not just extreme metal, but music in general, especially when it comes to like lyrics and um, maybe musical catharsis in a way. Everything's different for everyone. Mm -hmm. And I think that's such an important thing to keep in the back of your head. And I think it's so cool that you guys are so open to letting people perceive things in a way that they want to. Because I guess as musicians, in a way, you can't be that selfish of a person because once you give something out, right. it's no longer, I guess, yours in a way. It's totally, everyone's. Dude. Yeah. So I think that is, you know, it's such a cool thing that you you said, like, you love hearing people's opinions on it. But yeah, man, I, I think I think it's just also another thing I wanted to mention in there. I, I know I mentioned the riffs, but the rhythm section with the the bass and the drumming on this just adds such a, a thickness and a groove that I think you guys topped on that. I guess we'll call it the the debut. Mm -hmm. But um yeah, I think it's I think it tops that. And I think that's what makes this record so much better is that there's mm. a more a thickness that's not too overwhelming when it comes to the rhythm section and how that blends with the guitar mm. melodies and harmonies on this record. And you know, it just kind of adds that under layer or I guess top layer, depending on how you're listening to yep. the, the vocal shrieks and the, you know, the vocals on the record. So, well, see, you're, that's something we've heard a lot too. I mean, that's, yeah. yeah, which, and I don't, that's not something that we had in our minds for sure. I don't think we ever talked about that. Um, well, th well, first of all, thank you for saying that. That's nice of you to say, Josh, but also, oh, no problem. yeah, I mean, that's one we've seen for sure multiple times as people are like talking about the drums and the bass in specific. Um, and I don't, I think that comes down to probably the production more than, other stuff and we we really went out of our way and we were like super super hard on caleb in like a nice like way where we were all doing it but i mean we were very very specific about the drum recording um and you know caleb is a very very technically good drummer and he's capable of playing the songs with zero mistakes, even mistakes that are really minute and wouldn't actually matter to probably almost anyone. But when you are when you have drums on a recording and you know that we're going to be uh, tracking all the other instruments to them, we really, we really wanted to make sure that we didn't have to run into any situations where we might have to do some drum edits. Um, so we were very, very particular with that. And Caleb did play the whole album with no mistakes. And we um, were working with uh, Colin Marston, like remotely as far as how to mic the kit. He basically, we... So we mic'd the the kit and we sent him like very detailed photos and he would tell us to move mics certain ways. And then we would send him more photos and more recordings. We would move them until he was like, okay, that's cool. Um, and then 
yeah, I mean, as far as outside of the the recording and the production with those two instruments in particular, I mean, I don't feel like Caleb and I did anything too different. I don't know if you have any kind of insight on that, Ian. I feel like we didn't do anything too different writing-wise. This difference is like early on, me and Brian primarily wrote most of everything. And then once it was complete, we brought it to everyone else. Yeah. Um, but I think we wanted to move away from the layered approach. Right. So before I would write a, one guitar layer, then another guitar layer. And then we used to use more synths and stuff. But on this record, we were intentionally like, okay, we're not using synths. We're not dubbing guitars. We're only going to record what we're physically capable of playing live, right. which kind of put a restriction on our capabilities. So we, we were able to like explore options more thoroughly because we had that kind of hard rule. So do you think then in that, because we had the, the limitation with the guitars and the synths, right? We weren't going to use any synths, and it was only going to be t two guitars, just what we were playing live. Are do you think then that that's why the bass and the drums are filling seemingly filling out more of that space, like on the recording? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, especially because it's yeah. more. It was more collaborative. But I don't like, know. You and Caleb were talking more. And... I guess we were. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I can't think of anything specific like that. I don't feel. I can't feel like we ever t talked about that specifically. But maybe it just kind of naturally happened like that. Interesting. It's uh, it's always funny to hear someone be like, well. I guess I don't yeah, know, I don't... but yeah, that, that's <laughs> yeah. interesting. <laughs> it's interesting to hear that everybody's kind of had a similar, I guess not everybody, but a, a lot, lot of people, people have had a similar a opinion. Yeah, it's a very yeah. common sentiment. Yep. But again, I don't want to take up too much of your guys' time, but I do have a few cool, fun questions yeah, that dude. I think will be interesting to hear no uh, your perspective on. But I always like to ask us, and you don't have to go too in detail if you don't want to. Um, like I said earlier, I don't really like to, I don't know, ask people to explain the meaning behind the lyrics, but um, thematically, did you want to take this in a certain direction? I mean, I guess a little bit. I, so when you were talking earlier about um, the, how we're really, we like to be very open-ended and leave it up to people's interpretation in that question mark thing, rather than an answer. I mm -hmm. feel like with lyrics, Ian and I have specifically kind of said those types of things. But basically, like, lyrically, I, I write all the lyrics, but I will send them to Ian and be like, what do you think about this? And sometimes he'll be like, I feel like this isn't quite up to what you're usually writing. And outside of that kind of input, I think Ian remains pretty hands off and kind of lets me um, run with it. And for fervor, lyrically, if there was anything that I was different than previous stuff, I think Phantoms was much lyrically a lot more like fantasy. Um, and Fervor has a little bit more of a personal element to it, especially on certain songs. So there's there are a couple. Um, Into Perdition is the one that comes to mind the most. That one is definitely by far the most personal uh lyrically and it's it was definitely at the time that i wrote it it was like a i was in a very bad place mentally and was having a really hard time and i was like i'm just gonna channel it and just let it go and not try to overthink it and just let the delivery be kind of ugly if it's going to be kind of ugly so i think 
there there's a good amount of that type of thing on fervor while still maintaining a lot of that imagery that we always kind of try to get in there which is like want it to be kind of vague we want it to be open to the readers or listeners interpretation we want it to be surreal not very much based in reality um yeah that type of stuff i think like it's just i don't want to ramble on too long with your question but um to sort of to 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 tie it all together like basically what we do is once once we've got all of the instrumentations worked out and we have a good recording from practice uh where we all are playing together obviously i'll be listening to that and i'll write lyrics to the uh practice based recordings so like the lyrics and the vocals are the last thing that happen after all of the instrumentation is done and so that kind of like helps for me to sort of like match words to the emotions that i'm feeling from the music you know like certain songs will just have a certain mood and it that can be very helpful for trying to get you know give words and meaning to it um but yeah in general a little bit more of like a personal um stuff to do with like mental health that type of anxiety depression those kinds of things and the question of like um uncertainty not knowing why you exist not knowing if there's any purpose and kind of wishing that you did know wishing that there was an easy answer because some people do have a, an answer to that you know like religion is an answer to that for a lot of people and um i often wish that i had an easy kind of answer like that but it just doesn't work like that for me so and for other people in the band as well awesome man it's always cool to um I don't know. I love the abstract, right? Like mm-hmm. I love the abstract. I love being able to look at a painting and create my own world or look at lyrics and create my own meaning out of them. So well, that's awesome, yeah, dude. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Hell yeah. But anyway, again, don't want to take too much of your guys' time, but I do have this a couple, like I said, quick fire questions. But for both of you, favorite moment on the record. You start, yeah. I can hear it. I can't even I can't even picture it, um, or I can't even describe what I meant. Or thing it's it's. I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> it's, on, it's on the last song. Um, I think it's one of the last riffs of the last song. It's just like I don't know if it if it's conveyed by just listening to it, but it's a moment that I feel connected to while playing it. It's a moment that like when we're all playing as a full band, I just I feel good. I feel the energy, and I'm just like this is what I love to do. Are so you, I'll always you talk about one of the outro riffs with like the yeah. rhythm, the stops and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which is what I thought about when he talked about the rhythm section like being oh, intricate okay. and rhythmic. Like yeah. that's something that you guys talked over for sure. Alright, that's true actually. That's true um, for that song. Yeah. You're right. But yeah, that's always that's that's a good one for me. That's my favorite my favorite part is the from into perdition as well. And it is the <laughs> the chorus in general. It's the first time that we really tr- specifically wrote a chorus. The lyrics have a lot of meaning to me. And I really like the way that there's uh, Ian and Gabe are alternating between um, harmonies. And then the bass is playing like a little bit more of the lead melody. Um, 
And the way that the harmonies shift around is like, I love that so much. It hits so hard for me. Favorite horror movie? Ooh. Well, that's a good one. All right. If if you would count The Witch as a horror movie, I'll do that. Yeah. It's, it's a beautiful like movie. A little bit more. Not totally horror, maybe, but that's like one of my favorite movies of all time. Ian, 100%. Ian, you go. Maybe I'll think of a more specific horror movie. I mean, that's a great one. Um, dude, I've been just, watching so many horror movies, too. Well, dude, that's what my podcast logo is based on is The Witch. Like oh, the, oh, really? The, oh, yeah, shit. If you, if you look... Well, if you well, not the whole thing, but if you look at the, the um, dude, I didn't just say that. I didn't logo. just say that for points. I promise. I didn't even know there, that. There, there's two Black Phillips. I like, I like have on... his logo pulled up, and I'm like, oh, I really like the witch, man. If you ever seen that, <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. But yeah, there's like two Black Phillips on there with two podcast microphones coming out. Oh, dude, that's so... around from around like this creep or crypt keeper kind of grim reaper looking guy. Hell yeah, that's really uh, so yeah, good, dude. That movie's great. Yeah, I um, love that one. Yeah, I don't know if it's my favorite horror movie, but I really like It Follows because one of my favorite composers is uh, Disaster Piece, who did the soundtrack to that. I need to watch um, that. Yeah, it's really good sound design, really good uh, kind of. Yeah, that's a great, great one. composition. Uh, man, I wish I just knew this question ahead of time. I, I've been watching so many, seriously. Fuck. All right, I'm just I can't think of any right now. I've been watching the Witch. Korean ones. Yeah, the Witch though. The Witch, the Witch is, is good. good. Yeah. Here's one. I'll give you guys some homework. Unless you've already seen it, then never mind. Have you guys seen Blood Diner? Jackie Kong's Blood no, Diner. No, I've heard of it though. All right, man. This Halloween, whenever or like this weekend, That's get together yeah. with with a friend or whatever. Sit back, have some pizza. If you indulge in an alcoholic beverage, do that and check this movie out. It is over the top, but it's it's so awesome. I can't cool. like it's so corny and goofy, but it's such a throwback to the eighties and it's such a fun watch, especially with a group of friends. You will you will lap your ass off. You like so but, if uh, you like the corny and goofy stuff, have you seen um Killer Clowns from Outer Space? Killer Clowns from Outer yeah. Space, yeah. Dude, I that, love that movie. That movie is is so funny. I love it. Yeah. This, yeah. The music is good, dude. But anyways, all right, I'll check this out. Favorite newer black metal band? Ah! Well, I can tell you... Uh, dude, I, I got to... I, I have to give a good answer to this one. But I will say that the the new... Um, I don't really know how to pronounce their name exactly, but Miserere Luminous, the new, their new record is amazing. Have you, have you uh, heard that? I have not heard that one yet. Oh, dude, it's um. When did that come out? Yeah, it came out in um, 2023. It's called Ordali. Um, yeah, June 2023 it came out. This is like my my record of the year right here. They're not a newer band. They've been around for quite a long time. It's like uh, someone from that band Gree and uh, Somber Foray from two. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, and this this was like a their first record in many years and it's it's very very good um yeah i definitely did add that to my list yeah you should it's it's awesome what's your who's a new band that you like Ian? dude that's tough i was gonna say um let's see in the past few years i mean i really like something a band that really really clicked for me which i don't think they have anything prior to like 2020 is uh serpent column oh that band's sick 
Mm. I've been listening to them a lot. And then um, I almost said Bustalos, but that doesn't really count, I feel like. I mean, is that Actually, new? Yeah, 2022. Did they have something out before them? Uh, I think he had something in like 2018. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. But uh, all right, yeah, let's say Serpent Column. I like Ava Turn. I think they're newer. I'm looking at my at my Spotify now. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Serpent Column is a really good one. Yeah, I can't pronounce any of the the records. Yeah. It, yeah. Have you or, listened to them before, Josh? I I think I heard Invicta. Okay. And that's the only one that I can think of. Is that the is that the one you're talking about, Serpent Column, I, the Invicta record? I like all of them. Um, oh, okay. I don't know if there's one specific for you, Ian. There was um, catharsis. It starts with a K, right? The one that starts with a K. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, also, uh, Trillium. Man, we are butchering these these names. <laughs> but th- that band, Trillium or whatever, they're on Nye Voidhanger. They have very long oh, and weird titles. Nice. Dude, did you guys check out that Flesh Vessel record? Yeah, I did. It was really interesting. That- I, saw, that I showed record. that to you, Ian. I, I, we're, when we were writing, I was like, you should listen to this. Guys, I can't thank you enough for doing this. Oh, yeah. Thank you, man. Such a fun time. The new record, Fervor by Eve, is out right now. Go pick it up. If you like extreme metal, if you like atmospheric black metal, whatever subgenre of black metal you want to throw it into, there's something on there for you. Go check it out, guys. Thanks again. Thank you, man. Again, that was Brian and Ian from the Portland, Maine-based black metal band Eve. Their new record, Fervor, is out right now. But as always, I do want to give my recommendation of the week before we do leave the show today. So my recommendation this week is Decrepit Funeral Home by Torture Rack off of 20 Bucks Spin. Their new record, Primeval Onslaught, is out right now. So let's go ahead and dive in, and then we will wrap this show up.
that was Decrepit Funeral Home by Torture Rack off their new record, Primeval Onslaught, out right now on 20 bucks spend. But I do think it's time to wrap this episode up now, my friends. Until next time, follow me on the socials I gave you at the top of the episode and leave a five-star review and subscribe to the show wherever you do listen. That helps me out tremendously. But we will see you once again next week right here in the catacombs.